Um, but we're back in the book of James. And uh, I talked to, again, a few people at the beach to me as well. There's so much great truth in here and, uh, and obviously very applicable. Um, you cannot read a verse or two in James and not know how to apply it. He makes it very clear to us. And today we're going to be looking at verses 2 to 4. So you can turn there in your Bible. I do want to review briefly what we talked about last time since it has been a few weeks ago. Uh, The author of the book of James is the half-brother of Jesus. And James was himself an unbeliever during Jesus' ministry career until he saw the risen Christ. And at that point, there was no denying that he was the Christ. And having seen his risen half-brother, seeing Christ risen, he not only followed Christ, became the leader of the early church there in Jerusalem. And so an important figure in the early Jews scattered abroad, and it says that in verse 1-1. We looked at that last time. And scattered abroad mostly due to persecution. Um, the stoning of Stephen was, was one event that instigated that, where people scattered, the believers scattered. Um, and they were in other places now. And, and still, as we'll see in the book of James, still facing persecution in a lot of ways. Now, we talk about James, the author, and we talk about the audience he wrote it to because those are true things. Those happen. But let's not forget that this is, James isn't the only author. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the author behind James. He is the one who has moved on James to write this so that every word is inspired, every word is inerrant, every word has authority for our lives. And so as we study them, who was the audience? But let's not forget that um, this is God's word for his people for all time. And so we, we study that so we can know what, does God, what is God's instruction for us today. Last time we also talked briefly that the theme of the book of James is genuine faith on display. Genuine faith on display. And he says again and again, the only saving faith is a genuine faith. And the book of James is full of commands. There are more imperatives per chapter than you'll find in other books of the Bible. Because he's saying, this is what faith does. This is what it looks like. There are those who would say, well, this is a book of works, and other ones are a book of faith. And that's, that's a false dichotomy. That's not true. He's saying, this is what faith does. And even verse 2 and 3 will start to look at this. book of James, he addresses them as my brothers again and again. He'll say, my brothers. And so as believers, we know this book is written for us. This is for us to say, is my faith being lived out in these ways? If I am claiming to be a follower of Christ, am I living my faith out in all these ways that James talks about? And are we living consistent to our declaration? But as I mentioned last time, the, the book of James is also a valuable tool to examine whether or not your faith is genuine. There are those, I am certain, in this room who believe they have a faith, believe perhaps their faith is genuine, and yet it is one of those people who will come to Christ one day and say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, I never knew you. And James is a wonderful book to be able to examine ourselves. 
where Jesus says, I never knew you. And so I challenge you, as we go through James, examine your faith. Examine whether any of these things that we find here in this book, could that be me that I am not living my faith out? That I, my faith that I profess is not a genuine faith? If you find at some point in our study, as we go through this, not only today but in future weeks, do something about it. Repent. Come to a true saving faith. Obviously, Brad or I, any of the Bible study leaders, the elders in here, we'd love to talk to you more about that if you need more information. But if you start studying and looking, examining your life by the truth of this book and think, you know, I don't know if I have a true faith. And in fact, I'm starting to have doubts. Please don't settle there. Don't rest there. But so this is what James is about. Genuine faith on display a tool for us as believers, and to examine if we are truly saved. Now, as far as an outline of the book of James, James uh, is unlike a lot of other books in the New Testament. Paul is very logically sequential. James, it's more like a series of things. And I I listed it out here as 13 marks of genuine faith. Now, I don't expect you to write all this down. Uh, You can take a photo. I'll put the slides up on the uh, internet on the church's website as well as a PDF, so you can get them there. But as I outlined the book and and looked at different commentators and how they outlined it, I felt like this was a fairly um, helpful outline in 13 different marks of genuine faith. Everything from the first one here, genuine faith considers joy as trials. Trials is joy. Get that one right. Um, marks of genuine faith we'll be able to cover in just a one-week study and uh, cover that whole topic. But many of these we won't. And in fact, this first one, which is verses 2 to 18, uh, we will not be able to cover in one week. Uh, In fact, we'll probably need to take four weeks to cover this first test of genuine faith. And this is how the first one breaks down. This first mark of genuine faith or test of genuine faith that genuine faith considers trials as joy, it breaks down into four sections. We're looking at the first section today. But you can see here that first, James reminds us to think rightly regarding trials. Secondly, pray expectantly during trials. Third, to maintain perspective during trials. And then fourth, distinguish accurately between trials and temptations. There's so much... Uh, and, you know, we can take this slow, and I, I want to take it slow because we want to uh, mine the depths as best as we can. But certainly, uh, we could do 10 messages on James 2 to 4, uh, verses 2 to 4. Um, we won't go that slow, but we, uh, we won't go fast either. And especially this first section, we don't want to go slow um, because trials are just such a reality in our lives that I don't think any of us will deny. And so we definitely want to take our time in that. And as we study, let's never forget, especially as we study the book of James, we don't study just to know. We don't study just for as an academic exercise. We study to apply it to our lives. Of any books to study, James says how foolish to be a hearer of the word and not a doer. Well, certainly let's not do that as we study the book of James. But we'll start today, as I said, with... uh, I think it's helpful that you have your own copy of God's Word in front of you. You can look before and after, 
and even make notes, but uh, to have it there in front of you. But let me read that for us this morning before we look at it. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let me pray for us one more time as we look to God's word. Father, as we come to your word here, and the truth that it contains, Lord, we um, want to come respectfully, knowing that it's your word. We want to come um, submitting to it. This, these commands regarding trials, Lord. Lord, I know that there are many people in this room who are facing many trials. And so, Lord, pray that your word um, would encourage their hearts and would also spur them on to right attitudes and right actions, Lord. Lord, may you be honored. In the name of Christ, amen. This passage that we're looking at here is probably not new to most of you. I imagine most of you have seen this before. And its instruction is both challenging and encouraging, uh, for sure. And perhaps one of the reasons we turn to it so many times and that we have so much familiarity with it is because we have so much familiarity with trials in our lives. So I don't want recognizing that there's a reality that many of you guys are facing, have faced trials, and are facing trials right now, and will face trials. There are those in this room who have had uh, cancer diagnoses, are suffering with that, other serious medical issues. There are those in this room I know with financial challenges. There are those with serious relationship difficulties, whether it's marriage or whether it's children, parents. There are trials that you're going through. And as we look at God's word and how what God's word says, Let's not remember that this is um, something devoid of our practical lives, but this is something that is facing the very trial that you're in right now. I mean, I want to deal with this soberly. I'll still throw a jab or two at Brad, you know, because, you know, that's fun to do. But, uh, but I do want to take this very seriously as to what we're looking at. And we're going to look at today two commands, two commands that those with genuine faith will obey. This, these verses, verses 2 to 4, have two imperatives, two, ver- two commands, uh, verbs here that, um, that we must obey. And the first is this, evaluate trials as joy. After that very brief uh, salutation in verse 1 that we looked at before, the first topic that James gets to is this topic of trials. And why does James go to this topic first? Well, we don't know all the reasons, but we do know that he was the pastor of the church there in Jerusalem. And he's writing to those who had scattered due to persecution. And I think we can surmise that James had compassion. And he had concern for those who were going through persecution who had been scattered about. So he wastes no time in writing to them regarding the trials that they were facing. And what does he say? 
what is his first words that he comes out with and says is he knows that they are going through trials. He has compassion. He loves them. He says this, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Wow, that's quite a start. I mean, the trials that these people were facing were, were no picnic. This was not, you know, small things that they were going about. It's not as if, uh, oh, I have to take my car to the mechanic type trials. We see in the book of James the different issues that they were facing. Financial poverty. We see in chapter 1, oppression and being taken to court. And in, verse, in chapter 5, verses 4 to 6, it even talks about exploitation and even execution. These were not small trials that they were facing by any means. So as we see James starting off saying, consider it all joy when you face trials, it's not that, well, he's probably talking about little trials. He's talking about spilling coffee on my shirt. No, he's talking about serious trials. He's talking about severe difficulties in life. That is what we're looking at. So let's look specifically at what he says here. He starts off, consider it all joy. Now, in the original, the word order is actually a little different. It sounds funny in English, but in the Greek, it would say, it says, all joy, consider it. In, in Greek words, of course, not in English. But he starts off, all joy. All joy, consider it. Does he start that way? Construct a sentence that way? Well, it's to emphasize it. This is his point that he's really wanting to drive home, starting right after he says greetings, all joy, he wants to say. And the word all there means complete, full, or unmixed. It's not saying that everything is joy, but he's saying that in trials, as he's going to say, it should be pure joy, unmixed with any other emotions. This same, these same terms are used in Philippians 2.29. And in that passage... Uh, Paul is talking about Epaphroditus coming to them, and he says to receive him, Epaphroditus, who he has just said how wonderful a help Epaphroditus is, receive him in the Lord with all joy. They weren't supposed to receive Epaphroditus with, well, we're happier here, but I am suspicious a little bit, or I have some concerns about you. No, they were to receive him with complete to consider trials. Now, what does consider mean? It means to count, to reckon, to evaluate. The idea here is this is how we are to think. And this is really, this verb, consider, is really the linchpin to this whole section. It's really the key verb and the key idea that we're going to see even through 2 to 18. How we think about trials. This is how we are supposed to think. He'll, he'll tell other ways that we're not supposed to think, but how we are to think. He wants his readers, and what we need to understand is, is thinking. And when we think correctly, our attitude will be correct. We need to evaluate things appropriately. And that's what he's saying here. How we consider is key. I want to get through all of two and three as kind of the, the words before we look at the big ideas. But he calls them my brethren. And as I said before, this is to believers, my brethren. So we know that. But we also know from this, this is a, a term of love. We're part of the family of God here. 
And it's a term of identification, my brothers. Not just the brothers. These are my brothers. And he wants to communicate. He's going to be telling them, he is telling them, somewhat of a difficult thing to hear. Look, I'm talking about trials in your life, and I'm telling you, you need to get your thinking right. I love you guys. You're my guys. You're my brethren. And so he communicates this with that love and with that identification. We also see here, he says, when you encounter various trials. So this thinking on is all joys. He says, when you encounter. And what does that mean? Encounter is the idea when you come across, when you fall into or fall among. It has the idea of being encircled by something. And the same verb is used in the story of the Good Samaritan. We see there that the man who was traveling fell among robbers. That was unplanned. That, that's what this verb's meaning conveys. Is, is this something unplanned, unknown ahead of time? It happens and suddenly you fall among and you're completely surrounded by something. And what in this case surrounds you, and that is trials. When you encounter, when you fall among various trials. And the word trials here, can, it can be accurately interpreted, interpreted as trials or test or temptation. Not a temptation, that's, that's a bit different here. And we're going to see later in this same chapter, the same Greek word translated as temptation. Now you think, well, how do you determine when it's translated and what? Well, it has to do with context, doesn't it? And in this case, in verse 2, we can pretty clearly and easily see that it means trials. James, we can't imagine him saying, consider it all joy when you encounter temptations. Um, certainly not. But trials, yes. And we're going to distinguish more between these as we get to later in James. But I, he doesn't go at length to describe the distinctions here in verse 2. Um, he's going to get into that, and we won't get into that right now either. He assumes his readers know what he's talking about uh, when he talks about the trials that they're facing. Various kinds. It's all kinds of things that are happening. And we looked, I showed you a few of the trials that they were facing, a few of the difficulties, serious issues that they were facing. And those are certainly in view, but it, we can't limit it to those either. He puts this a little bit separated after to draw emphasis to, look, these are all kinds of trials that you're going to face, various kinds. And in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it uses this same word for various, uh, for multicolored. And we see it in uh, the Joseph's coat of many colors. And that's a, a good picture, I think, for us, isn't it? When we think trials of many colors, um, all kinds of trials. And the reality is, that is uh, what we face in this broken world, isn't it? It is trials of all kinds, all sorts of things, large. But we face trials of, of many kinds, all kinds. Now, putting this together then, in verse 2 here, Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. We see his command is, is very clear. We are to have pure joy 
Think on it as pure joy when you encounter all kinds of trials. Now, those of us who have read this or heard this many times think, oh, yeah, I know what that says that. But can you imagine hearing this for the first time? And look at it from those eyes of, that's an outrageous command. Are you serious, James? What are you talking about here? How is that possible? How, how are we to have all joy? That, that doesn't make sense. I mean, you should tell us, all right, when you face very, what I'm kind of looking for, when I'm in a trial, all right, here's how to get out of them, or, or here's when it's going to end. But he doesn't say that. He says, consider it, think on it, evaluate as all joy when you face trials. Now, how is this possible? Well, he goes on to say how it's possible in verse 3 here. Here's the reason we can think on trials as joy. It's because of this, because we know something. You know what? You're in the know. And that's always important. What do we know? Well, there's really three things, even in verse 3 here, that we're going to see here that we know. And these are things we have to remember. Things we need to remind ourselves of when we're in trials that he makes clear here in verse 3. To know here first is to know by experience. And he says, knowing these things, he's going to tell us, will help us. And first he says, knowing the testing of your faith. So here's the first thing we have to remember. The first thing we know, but must remember or remind ourselves of is this. Trials are tests. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Well, wait a minute. You were just talking about trials. Now you're talking about testing of our faith. Well, he said, you know, I'm talking about the same thing. Trials are the testing of your faith. That's what, that's what these trials are. It's, it's testing you. It's testing to see how you're going to respond. It's not just something that happens to you. Trials don't come by accident. It's not, it's not just suddenly in your life and, oh, there it is. It's a test. This is testing me. Now, to give a simple example of that, husbands, just briefly to you, this is just a free piece of marriage counseling, no cost. We didn't cover this in my marriage series. I'll cover it now. When your wife comes to you and says, how do I look? It's a test, okay? <laughs> it, it, it is a test at that point. You need to recognize that as a test. This isn't just, oh, this whatever comes to my head to answer this question. You are being tested right here. The question, does this make me look fat? That's a test <laughs> right there. That is a test, okay? When we recognize something as a test, then we'll think, okay, wait a minute. Let me think how I'm going to respond to this, Okay? And certainly in those questions, take a second to think how you're going to respond to that. Uh, so therefore, we need to think, how will I respond to this trial? Will I respond with trust in God through this? Or will I respond in anger? Will I respond with complaining? Will I respond with any attitude or action that is contrary to what God has told me to do? And ultimately... Will I respond in a way that shows that my faith is genuine? So the first thing we, we know, even from this verse here, knowing that the testing of your faith, this is a test. 
recognize this is a test. And what follows from that is the second thing we must remember. We must remember trials are from God. See, here's the implication. If it's a test, then there's someone who's given the test. Who's testing us? It's from God. God provides the test. Trial, they didn't, they may have come unexpected and unplanned on, on our view, in our perspective. It's like, wow, I did not expect to have that medical diagnosis, to have this thing happen. A child gets severely injured, whatever it may be. But you know what? God knew. He had this plan from way before. He has chosen this trial specifically for you. When God acts, he does not do so randomly. Scripture is very clear on that. God gives us exactly what he knows is best. It's not willy-nilly. And that alone is a great comfort to us, isn't it? I know this trial didn't just happen in my life. This trial is given to me by God. And I appreciate a quote by Charles Spurgeon, who says, So surely are the stars, so surely are our trials allotted to us. He has ordained their season and their place, their intensity, and the effect they shall have on us. Every trial and the specific parts of your trial and the ways your trial is affecting you was designed for you by God. And what an encouragement that should be to us. You know what? This isn't out of control. God's still on his throne. But how, but is that totally helpful? It's like, okay, this is really hard. God specifically gave this to me. But this is hard. This is miserable. This is a difficult thing. How is that encouraging? Maybe it's more discouraging. I'm having this trial and God's the one who gave this to me. But here's the other side of that. We also know God's character. This is a God who is love. We serve a God full of compassion. I can be comforted knowing that God's in control and he gave me this trial specifically. We can do that because we know what else is true about God. We know we serve a God who loves and who has compassion more than we can understand or imagine. If there was a missionary who understood trials, who went through more difficulty, it's not Brad Clausen, um, Adoniram Judson um, went through amazing hardship and difficulty. Not only difficulty ministry-wise, as people not responding, he went for years, six years without a convert. He spent a couple years in prison as a presumed spy, but he lost two wives, died. Multiple children, many of his children died, both at a young age and then even later in life. He went through so many difficulties. And this is what he said, the order by infinite love and mercy I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. Adoniram Judson knew this. Just as Charles Spurgeon said that he knew everything came from God, he articulates here how he knows it comes from God's loving hand as well. And knowing that in trials makes all the difference. That's, That's what Adoniram Judson says here. Knowing the trials came from the love and the mercy of a heavenly father makes such a huge difference. And remembering that can help you keep your focus during trials. You forget that or you just aren't 
thinking on that, then trials become overwhelming because they are hard. They are difficult. I mean, I appreciate in Scripture, it doesn't pretend as if we come, become a believer there's no more trials in our life. Or no horrible things about the prosperity gospel is this idea that, oh, you follow God and things will get well. And that's just not what Scripture says. It says as a believer, he's writing, my brethren, consider all joy when you go through trials. When, not if, when you go through trials, because you're going to, consider it all joy. It doesn't pretend there's no trials. And if you just, you know what, you have no more faith and you won't have trials. I had someone, uh, when my dad, this was 12 years ago, my dad was on hospice and um, from cancer. A guy come to me and say, look, you just need to have more faith and pray and he'll get better. Like, it's your fault, you know, your dad's dying of cancer here. That's not what scripture talks about. It doesn't say that you'll be free from trials, free from physical injury, free from cancer if you just have enough faith. If you think in certain ways, consider certain things rightly, and the two we already looked at, knowing that they are from God and knowing that it's a, a loving God who's giving them, then, then you can think rightly. Then you can have joy in trials. But this leads us to a, th- a question, and the third thing we must remember, okay, this is coming from the loving hand of God. Why is he doing this? Well, one of the reasons why, he says here, is knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. One of the things that God is doing in your trials is producing endurance, and we must remember that. It says we know this. James Wright, you, you know this. But we got to think on this. we got to discipline our mind to think this way. That trials do this. It continues to develop or continues to produce endurance. And endurance is a steadfastness, a constancy, a perseverance. Literally, the word means to remain under. And this, this is saying then it's that remaining in that trial, remaining under it and the burden of it, it produces endurance in your life. It will grow you in this important quality of perseverance or steadfastness. So so that is, we see one of the reasons why God is putting us through these trials, and we can take joy and thankfulness in that. And it's not dissimilar. So we see here then the first uh, thing that God's doing is trials produce endurance. Well, uh, let me go too fast here. Um, this is not terribly dissimilar from even how our own bodies work, our muscles work, by lifting weights. I, I say when we work out, I don't work out. I mean, you know, when, when a person works out, uh, theoretically, maybe you work out, this is what happens. Your muscle fibers break down. It's, uh, it actually creates trauma or damage to your muscle fibers is what happens. And then your body responds by replacing or repairing Uh, those damaged muscle fibers leading to increased muscle fiber. This is, I guess, how it works. I'm, you know, unfamiliar in my own life. But um, the key is, though, in this, you have to have adequate resistance. So if you're, you know, you have a bar on your shoulders and you're squatting and it's, you know, 10 pounds, well, that's not going to build muscle because it's not going to tear anything down. It has to be heavy enough. 
to break down some muscle fiber so that new ones can grow in its place. And so that's why they say in, in weightlifting, no pain, no new muscle grows. Well, in a somewhat similar way, in a spiritual sense, God brings trials in our life, brings difficulties to cause growth, to build us up in endurance. They produce endurance, this trial. And, it's, and again, the word is to remain under. And that, that means you don't escape the trial, but you stay in the trial. That's when endurance is produced. You don't take that bar off your shoulders when you're doing your squats. You keep it on there. And you're under that trial. And God does something in that. The trial is a test. It's coming from the loving hand of God, and it is producing endurance in your life. But that's not all. The second command, we see this in verse 4, is enduring, endure trials to maturity. That's our second command there, endure trials. to. Now, in the English, we, it's translated let endurance, and it sounds very passive, but it's actually a command. It's an imperative there. And it's hard in a lot of ways to, it's hard to translate that as, as an imperative for us. Okay, what does that mean that I, I have endurance, um, have its perfect result or its completed work? How do I do that? Well, it's easier in some ways to think of it as don't do the negative. Don't disrupt endurance's work. Don't stop having endurance. Don't fail in your response by giving in to a sinful complaining defeatist attitude continue to endure is what he's saying there let endurance have its completed work endurance is going to do something it's active don't disrupt that work that endurance is having by responding right so that here's the purpose a so that clause so that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing now the words here talk about maturity and completion or fullness. Uh, We don't think perfection in every area of your life, but building maturity. And that then is what things are working to. So we saw that trials lead to endurance, but it doesn't end there. Endurance then leads to spiritual maturity. That is the chain of what's going on here and what we must remember, that endurance is important, certainly. But endurance is doing a work towards spiritual maturity or godly character. And we, we sang a hymn this morning in first hour, How Firm a Foundation, one of my favorite hymns. And the, one of the verses there uh, speaks directly to this. And I'm so glad we sung that this morning. When all sufficient shall be my supply, the flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. God is putting us through fiery trials, but it's to burn off the dross, to refine the gold in our life. It's, it's to produce godly character in our life. And so we need to remember this truth. That's the key here. Again, going back, consider this, remember this. And I made kind of a, I don't know if it's a helpful graphic or not, but hopefully a little bit. Usually, when we face a trial, all we can see is a trial. We have this big black trial in front of us. It's just this big, difficult thing in front of us. The natural man only sees that. You, all you can do is look at that trial. But 
for those who have genuine faith, they want, because they have genuine faith then, to see through the trial to that spiritual maturity. That I, I have my eyes so fixed on that spiritual maturity or godly character that I don't just look at the trial itself. I look at what that trial is producing. That trial, through God's grace, is producing endurance, which is producing this godly character. So I can look past the trial or or in ways through the trial to see what God is doing. But this only works if you have genuine faith. This only works if spiritual maturity, godly character, is something you really desire. Is that what's most important to you? Pleasing God in your life in all respects. If the most important thing to you is comfort or ease, a problem-free life, it's not spiritual maturity because that's not what's important to you. So that is where the test lies here. Genuine faith can have joy because spiritual maturity is important. If it is not the most important thing to you, pleasing God in your life, and comfort and ease is more important, you're not going to be able to find joy. You can't consider it joy because those things aren't important to you. So I ask, evaluate yourself. I ask you to think, is that me? Do I desire that? Do I see that then as a way to find joy in my trials is because I know what God is doing in them. And that is, that is the key here to think, okay, God's producing this godly character in me. Now, how does that work? How does God use trials to create endurance, build endurance, and then godly character? What are ways this happened? Well, I, I list out, I'm going to show you, and I'll admittedly go through these really, really quickly. Um, but again, the slides are, are going to be uh, available. But there's eight different ways here that, uh, and this isn't exhaustive. I'm sure you can think of others as well that Scripture teaches us. But let me walk through Eight different ways that God uses trials to create godly character. The first is this, trials demonstrate the genuineness of your faith. And certainly we see that in this passage, um, that genuine faith will respond that way. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 also speaks to this. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It gives us confidence in our faith that we know, hey, God walked me through this. I know my faith is real. Another way, trials can provoke you to repentance. Hebrews 12, 6 talks about the Lord, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Now, some trials are disciplined from the Lord. Not all of them. Many trials are not, but some are. And some, perhaps, are not disciplined from the Lord, but they do cause you to evaluate, how am I living? Um, Is there any ways, sin in my life, that brought on this difficulty? And even when the difficulty may be caused 90% by someone else or outside of you, your own sin contributed, maybe 10% to it. Or to some extent, you sinned in that trial. Trials can provoke you to repentance and think, hey, what is there in my life here that I need to... He used this in Paul's life, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. 
because the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And again, he says, to keep me from exalting myself. Trials are humbling. Trials realize, okay, I'm not in complete control of everything here. Trials help us to realize, look, uh, I need the Lord. I can't do this on my own. Another way that God uses trials to create godly character, trials move you to prayers of dependence on God. The next verse there in in 2 Corinthians 12, um, Paul writes, concerning this, this sword in the flesh, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Now, I'm not saying this is the only time when Paul prayed is when he had this trial, but it certainly did provoke him to prayer. And we move people to prayer to God. Um, In reading 1 Samuel, Hannah, who was without child, very distressed. She's in greatly distressed. She prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Her trial of not having a child caused her to seek the Lord. And trials will often do that. And prayer, uh, move us to prayer that we don't do as faithfully when we're outside of a trial. Next, trials, when they're removed, move you to prayers of thanksgiving, perhaps greater thanksgiving than normal. Uh, this was true of Hannah. Hannah chapter 2 is a great Song of praise by Hannah in prayer to God. And that is when God eventually gave her a child and she was out of the trial. We often respond with the greatest thanksgiving after a trial. Next, trials prepare you to minister to others in trial. And we see this many times in Scripture when they are removed, when, um, um, when we go through trials and we're out on the other side. And this verse talks about that. God who comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. We can sympathize and we can care for those who are going through trials because, you know what, we've been through those as well. God also uses trials to loosen our grip on this world. We know we're not to love the things of this world. Uh, 1 John 2.15 Well, when those things get taken away from you, suddenly you realize, you know what, I, I got to just hold more loosely to these things. They aren't important. Um, if I was treasuring that so much, then uh, then I my life would be ruined. But you know what? I can't, and I don't love the things of this world. And trials help us with that because we can't have our grip on them when they're taken away from us. So trials go through a trial and see how this broken world is, and maybe it's. Um, Maybe it's physical, maybe it's medical, maybe it's other circumstances. We realize, you know what? I long for heaven. Heaven's no more tears. Heaven, there's no more crying. There's no more sickness. And we suddenly long for heaven a whole lot more after we go through trials and in the midst of trials. So God uses trials to create godly character so we can have joy. Now I want to clarify. I know we're going time a little long, but they went long first hour, so they'll probably go long again. Um, What we're not saying these verses are teaching us, and I want to be clear there, we're not saying trials are joyful. Like, well, you got to understand, trials are fun. (laughs) No, that is not what this passage is saying, and hopefully you're not walking trials because they're hard. Okay, so let's not pretend that they are, and we're not, secondly, not to feel trials are joyful. It's like, yeah, trials are joyful. Uh, just, just, you know, be happy about it. Be happy that, you know, uh, you just 
whatever injured your leg or whatever happened. Um, no, they don't feel joyful. And he's not saying that. He doesn't say, feel like it's all joy. He's using the word consider. Think on it. It's not saying we just need to grit our teeth and bear it. It's not just saying just power through it. It's more than that. It's joy, and it's joy because we're thinking right. It's not saying we should seek out trials like, oh, I want to grow in godly character. I should try and get myself in a difficulty, so I'll grow in godly character. Um, in high school, I went to a Christian high school, and one of the kids raised his hand. My prayer request is that we all get in trials. Like, wow. Everyone's like, oh, wow, you're godly. No, you don't seek out trials. God will bring the trials, okay? Trust him. You just honor the Lord, and trials will come when God determines it's necessary. We don't say to seek out trials, and it's not to say that we can't ask for God to bring us through the other side of the trial, that he won't heal. Uh, we can pray for healing. We see that. We, Paul asked for removal of the thorn in the flesh. That's not a bad thing. That is a good thing. So we aren't saying that, uh, hey, just enjoy it and hope the trial lasts forever. Pray that God would bring relief from the trial. That is fine. But until he does, we need to think rightly. Until he does. And that's, that's the key that I, I want you to take away for sure from this. As we consider these verses, we need to think again, what is the main verse to consider it all joy when you encounter various trials? And that means you need to have the right perspective. You need to think rightly. And that just takes discipline of your mind. Like, no, this doesn't feel fun. This isn't fun. This isn't an enjoyable thing, but I need to think rightly on this. I need to think rightly on who brought this in my life. This is a test of God, brought this in my life for spiritual maturity. I need to think rightly on this. So it comes down to this verb consider and then following knowing. We can think this way, we evaluate this way because there's truth that we know. So that's what it comes down to is in our thinking. And we need, what, what we often happens is we allow our emotions or our feelings to run ahead of us. And we respond just how this feels and, and our feelings in it instead of saying, for a great thing, we talked about feelings before, but they're not to be opposite of the truth they got to be under what is true. And sometimes when our feelings start leading us in a certain way, we need to say, feelings, you need to stop. This is what is true. One of my favorite sections of of any book outside of the Bible is from Martin Lloyd-Jones, wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. And in the first chapter, the whole chapter is great, but this is part of a quote that has been so helpful for me, and I wanted to read it to you. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, Why art thou cast down? What business have you yourself? Abrade yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, And say to yourself, hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, and what what God is, and what God has done, 
and what God has privileged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance who is the health of my countenance and my God. We need to defy our feelings sometimes and say, yeah, this is, I don't feel joy. But say, you know what, self, this is what's true. This is who God is. He is doing this in my life to build spiritual character. And you know what? I'm going to have joy and respond right to doing in my life. So what's the walk away application? Well, it's pretty clear, but let me just review a couple things. When you're in trial, ask yourself the right question. Don't ask, why, God, are you having this happen to me? Instead, what, God, do you want me to do to honor you in the midst of this trial? What would you have me do? And this is the way we need to think and discipline our minds. Secondly, trust the hand of your loving Heavenly Father. You may not know why you're going through a trial, and you may not know when the trial is going to end. You may not know exactly what God are you teaching in this trial, but you do know who has given you that trial. And you do know the character of God, who is a loving, all-wise God. And that is what we need to think on. Finally, remember, it's one thing to say, you know what, God gave me the trial, but realize this, he doesn't give you a trial and walk away either. God walks with you through the trial. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's not as if God said, all right, let's see how you do on this one. God is there in your trial to come alongside to grow you into a more godly person. And if you desire to be like Christ, you can then say, you know what? God, I trust you in this trial. I'm in considerate joy because you're working something in me through this trial. Let that be our prayer. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And um, most of all, thank you for who you are. That you are a, certainly a sovereign God, but you are a loving, compassionate God and that you are using trials in our lives. In many ways, creating more godly character. So God, pray as we do face those trials. And I pray for people in here, I know going through very difficult times, God, that they would discipline their minds, evaluate things in that trust in you and what you're doing, God. We thank you for, for what you will do. And as trials more, more trials are certain to come, God, may you help us to think on you and rightly about them. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.